Well, this is our third week in the, out of seven in this series called Seven. And what we're talking about in this concept is, is that everyone can leave a godly legacy by following Jesus in these seven areas of life. And uh, up to this point, we've talked about the spiritual life and that the spiritual life is all about seeking God and serving God. And then the second week, last week, we talked about the family, about how how, how God wants to work in our families. And now I want to talk to you about your calling, your calling. You know, you go, my calling. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a pastor. No, you're not. You're not. Some of you are not. But but yet you still have a calling of God on your life. So I want to talk to you about your calling. And it actually is what you do with your with your day. That's your calling. Because it used to be, before the Protestant Reformation, there used to be this concept about what you do, your work. That your work was all affected by sin, and it's just never going to be good. So you go to church to find the good. And that's why they invested all the millions of dollars in the church. So that they could be beautiful, ornate places that you could go and you would find God there. Because God's not out there. And you would... You would be led by a holy man who would lead you into the presence of God. And the Protestant Reformation basically said absolutely not anymore. It's not just about this group of people who lead you into the presence of God. It's that through Christ, we can walk in the presence of God whenever whenever we want to, wherever we want to. All of life is sacred. All of work is sacred. And they traced it back that even before sin entered this world, Adam and Eve were working in the garden and they got great. They were joyful. They were fulfilled in their work before sin happened. So God ordained work. He ordained it to be a fulfilling and blessing in our lives. And I think it's important that we construct a compelling vision for work because here's why. Number one, our time, our time. It is the number one place that gets our time in our day, in our waking hours. Estimates are anywhere from 65 to 80% of our waking hours are involved in getting to or working or coming home from work. It's a tremendous amount of time. And if you don't have a vision for your time, then it's going, you're going to seem like it's purposeless. It's an interesting uh, article I read this week from conducted by the Gallup poll in 2011. It put out how many people are engaged in their jobs. And by engaged, they enjoy it. They see that they're part of a larger picture. They, they realize that every day builds on the other and they have perspective and, and, they, and they're advancing what's happening at their job. I mean, it blew my mind to find that that 71% of people were either not engaged or actively disengaged from their job. 19% of all people who work were actively disengaged from their job. They, it's like, I'll, I'll look at Facebook, but I won't work. Or I'll have conversations. I'll do anything not to work today. Think about that. Think about that. 71% of all workers are feeling like they're not engaged. They're neutral. They're neutral. And this has been, it's actually an index that the Gallup poll traces each year. It's been consistent year after year since they've tracked it. That means only 29% of us are actually feeling engaged with what we do with our lives. This should not be. That's a ton of time we put into something. Don't you think we ought to have purpose and direction with what we do? 
Secondly, we invest most of our energy there. I don't know about you, but I come home at the end of the day and I'm fairly tired. It's because I'm investing a lot of energy here. And uh, you guys and women know what we're talking about. With uh, one income or two income homes, you're tired at the end of the day. Work sometimes gets your first and your best. And then leftovers are, are given to your family. We need a compelling vision for it. So we can put it into perspective. It's not just our time. It's not just our energy. It's also the amount of people that we connect with there. As we look at engaging our work, there's a ton of people around us. And if we just saw it as no purpose and we're disengaged, all those people would kind of be ignored. When I believe God has you right there with people in our lives to engage. It's our time. It's our energy. And it's the amount of people there. And so we need a vision from God. We need a compelling vision to embrace and engage our work. And it's found in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Would you turn there with me? By the way, if you don't have a Bible, now's a great time to go up and get one. They're in the back there. If you don't have a Bible at home, this is our gift to you. Take it home. If you have one at home, just leave it on your way out. We want you to have God's word in your hand. So Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 22. Colossians 3, 22. We're going to read through 25. It says this. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but by way of, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. Now I know that first word in this passage kind of already checked some of us out when we hear of bond servants or even some one, one version says slaves and it was a different environment back there. And, and bond servants were people who literally sold themselves to their master because they were destitute. There was no social security. There was no health and human services. There was, I've got to pledge myself to this person and be loyal to this employer or I won't make any money for my family. So that that's what, what it was. And Paul was encouraging the New Testament church to, to recognize who they're really serving. From employee to employer, he reaches out and he says these things. Number one, your work is a calling from God. Your work is a calling from God. You may be waiting for a call from an employer to get an interview, but God's calling you before that and saying, who are you going to work for? I'm placed you. I have purpose. I have direction. You're right where, you're right where I want you to be. All believers are called into ministry. That's why, that's why it's called vocation. It's taken from the Latin vocare, which means to call. To call. The Protestant Reformation really brought that out. That, that it's not just a few priests who are in with God. And called to the ministry. It's that all the saints. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus. You're called. If you have a job. If you don't have a job. You're called to serve him wherever you are. Whatever 
you do. I think it's important there that we look at that first word in verse 23. Whatever. That has our names. Every one of our names. And what we do, if we stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads, if we're students, we all fill this role. Whatever you do, who are we serving? Which is that next point. My work is working for God. It's not for man. My work and your work works for God. Here it says in multiple places here, one in particular, the end of verse 24, you are serving the Lord Christ. That's your boss. That's my boss. That's your ultimate teacher. That's your, that's your supervisor. You are serving and I are serving the Lord Christ. And it says work heartily as for the Lord and not for men because he's your ultimate employer. I know you didn't want to hear that tonight because so much fun being discontent with your boss. But the reality is your ultimate boss is Jesus. And then thirdly, my work is worship. It's worship to God. It's not just showing up, stamping in, stamping out, and walking away. No, it's worship to God. Look at, look at the heart in which we're called into. It says we're not to um, obey in eye service just to have an image or as people pleasers. That means kissing up. <laughs> it, it means with a sincerity of heart, verse 22 says, fearing the Lord. So that's. We're to work heartily to the Lord. All of work could be worship. You go, oh, worship is us singing. Worship is me in a car when I see a sunrise and I go, thank you, God. Worship is when I get the promotion. I say, thanks, God. Or I get the job. Yes, God. But worship is when we endure in our jobs and we put a good day's work in. Because we're serving the Lord, not men. It's, it's when we study hard for that test. It's when we finish strong with our school. Because we're serving the Lord. We're, we're studying for God, not for man. And that changes everything. It changes, certainly you're not going to hear this apart from the word of God. Because our world is always about employees and employers and the never two shall mix. And the world is, is constantly saying, get done. Just live for retirement. How many more years do you have till you're vested for retirement? Because we don't have a high view of work. And finally, it says, my work is rewarded by God. Look what it says here. <clears throat> Knowing that, verse 24, it says, <coughs> excuse me. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. What's that inheritance? Certainly it means salvation, right? Certainly it means eternal life. But do you also realize it means eternal rewards? It's God will reward us for how we ministered with his calling on our lives right now. And he will reward that in eternity. Now, I don't think we're going to go, ah, look what I got. You didn't get this like we do with our incomes here. I think we'll take those rewards and we'll lay them down at the feet of Jesus and they will enhance our worship. We won't use them as a competitive, you know, barometer for where we, our status in heaven, but we'll worship God with them. I, I look forward to that time and I want to live as a faithful man to be rewarded by God. And on the opposite side, Verse 25 says, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There's no partiality. This is a strong word for an employer's. 
How do you treat your people? Because God knows no partiality. You can bribe in many third world countries. The, the wealthy bribe the police force so that the ex- people can be exploited. God sees that. And it breaks the heart of God. Employers, we need to be equal and fair and generous with those who work for us. <clears throat> this is the picture. This is the picture. My work is a calling from God. It's working for God. It's worship to God and it's rewarded when done well, rewarded by God. And so we have to acknowledge this calling. We have to acknowledge this calling and, and realize this. You are, you and I are called away from the have to kind of work and into a higher view of work. We've got to have a better view for work. Cause it said nothing about Christian, non-Christian in those engaged numbers. Christians are just as disengaged as non-Christians. So we have to realize we have to have a better view of our work. And, and it has everything to do with our perspective. If you view your work as a have to, it's kind of like you're walking in a valley and it's hot and there's not a lot of vegetation around you. You're walking and you see these walls of a mountain around you and you just wonder, well, I don't know how to get out of this. I guess got to get out of this. And, and when you have that higher view, Then you can look up, you can look down from God's summit and you can see, ah, that's why God has me there. This is who I'm serving. This is who I'm living for. And and it has the whole perspective. Every little detail in your day makes sense. It's not purposeless or pointless. So we've got to accept that calling once we acknowledge it. So here's what I'm asking you to do. On your notes is an acceptance area. It says accept in big, bold letters. It says accept my calling. Do you see your calling right now? You may not like your calling, but you're called there right now. It's right where God has you. You don't need another job to take, take this calling, to accept this calling. So accept it. Here's how you do that. I wrote down what it would look like for me. I said, I, Joe Hishma, hereby accept the high calling of God to be lead pastor at Fellowship Bible Church, where I will honor and serve him, advancing his kingdom by making disciples of Jesus Christ. But you could put your name down there. So put your name down there. If your name was like this next one, Ricky Skaggs, you know, and you're a garbage collector at waste management. Okay. Write your name down there. Or if your name was Mary Jones and you're a teacher at Wanamaker Elementary, or your name is Kristen Smith and you're a nurse practitioner. And I won't put either... Stormont or St. Francis, because I know you two are fighting. So Topeka hospitals, accept that calling, accept that calling and start living each day with a higher view of work. If you're a student or just put student at the school you go to, that's your calling. You may have never seen it that way, but God says, whatever you do, you serve the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ in whatever you do. So now that you've accepted your call, and I hope you did that, let me just talk to you about what it looks like to apply your life to that calling. And it means that it's a daily choice. Just like leading in your family and loving in your family is a daily choice, your work is a daily choice. And your legacy at work, it's determined by a daily choice to do one thing or another. The first thing is you could show up, just get the job done, or you could serve up. 
I think the scriptures are calling us to serve up, not just show up. Even in the American depressed economy right now, I'm still hearing from employers, if I can just get people to show up on time, that would be a good employee right now. And I think as a Christian, that's a horrible, that's a horrible perspective to expect out of employees as a follower of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, you need to serve up, not just show up. Because we're serving the Lord Christ. That's the concept. You, When you show up, you don't show up, just show up. You serve up. You serve the living God with your day. You may have a very unfair, mean boss or supervisor who's who you would love to be. But right now, today, serve the Lord by serving them. Doesn't seem fair, Joe. It's not. Love is rarely fair. But that's the love of God for you and me. It's not fair. It's grace. And that's how we show the love of Jesus. By living in grace and serving up. How do you serve up? Let me give you four suggestions. One of the things that um, myself and some of the other elders do is we read one proverb a day. And it matches with the date. So today is April 27th. I read Proverbs 27 this morning. And it's amazing when, when I want to serve up in my job, how the book of Proverbs just ministers to me. The wisdom from God's word just speaks to my life. Earlier this week, it talked about excellence. The first point, serve with excellence. Serve God with excellence. Look what it says in Proverbs 22, verse 29. It says, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. This basically says that you're rewarded when you give excellence in in the environments God has you. Skillful in his work. Are you skillful in what you do? I know you know what to do to get to the end of the day, but are you skillful in it? Do you use excellence as a value in what you do? Why? Because God deserves our first and our best, not our last and our leftovers. And if our worship is work, then we can't give them leftovers. We can't be distracted by Facebook or checking our emails all the time or texting a whole bunch when we should be working. We should be serving up and being faithful in our jobs. Skillful. Now, don't just do the work. Do it with excellence. Do you ever ask yourself, what's holding me back? from being excellent in what I do. Excellence is noticed. Do you underperform or overperform? You want to overperform. You want to give people more than what they ask in a good way, not less than what they ask. Here's a a picture that cracked me up a few weeks back. Look at that. What is he giving him? He's not giving him excellence, right? Now, what we don't see is the reaction of what's going to happen when this guy realizes what's written on my, what's charted out on my paper is not what's on my back. Okay? See, he's not giving him excellence. That's why sometimes it's good we hire a professional, right? Okay, you can move back to that next slide. We need excellence, right? So my son uh, is reaching out to students of special needs at Topeka High. And one of the student's mother was in the hospital. 
And uh, Jack, Jack made a call to her, just made a phone call and said, hey, I heard you were in the hospital. And I wanted to let you know that me and my family, we're praying for you. And she goes, oh, Jack, wow, thank you for doing that. You know what? I just met someone from your church. His name is Nick Eilert, and he's a nurse here. And man, he is the best nurse I've ever had. And it was just so awesome to see what he's doing in my life. You know what? I hear that. When I hear people bragging about your work and the excellence that you do in the environments there, man, it shows an excellent God who doesn't give his last and his leftovers. But when you don't show up or when you're discontent or disengaged, that's why I hear sometimes, boy, Christians are lazy. They're so much more of wanting to spread a political agenda than they are wanting to work hard. You need to pursue excellence and reflect an excellent God in words and your actions. Secondly, serve with integrity. I love this passage in Proverbs 28, verse 18 and 19. It says this, whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Boy, that's there's truth in that, isn't there? You know, the whole concept of the structured marketing plans and the get-rich-quick schemes, those always look for, you can have it, you can have it, but in the end, for a vast majority of the people who pursue those, they're worthless pursuits. Worthless pursuits. Here, show up, serve up. Pursue excellence. Trust God with the results. Two sides of integrity are results. And the other side is relationship. Let's talk about results. Results are, are the bottom lines. They're, if you're a salesperson, they're the amount of sales you've done. They're the profits you are if you're in management. They're the work you've done if you've done manual labor. Or the test scores you've got if you're a student. Or the accidents you avoided if you're a safety manager. Or the crimes solved if you're a detective. Or the cases successfully closed if you're a caseworker. Or the patients that are cured if you're a doctor. You name them. We're all held accountable for results. You want to pursue Positive results. But that's not the only thing. You also want relationships. The other side of who you are is the relationships you have. The people you work with. Do they trust and respect you? Do they know you love them and care for them? And that you're not out just for results. But people mean something to you. When the results are gone. See, the problem with the corporate world in America right now is we're chasing quarterly results. And we're compromising relationships to get quarterly results to impress stockholders. And so companies are plummeting because you can't sustain quarterly results. You've got to be committed to long-term things. Long-term things are relationships, trust, respect. We've got to do that as a country and as individuals. And that's why in the area of results, never lie or cheat. Never lie or cheat. When it comes to getting a job, making money in that job, advancing a career, or when you're called out and confronted. And those are the four times in a job that we're most tempted to cheat or to lie. It's to inflate your resume. It will be found out. It will. Number one, You will know it. 
and you will have to get sleep at night. And if you run for office in the future or something, it will be found out. If you get the promotion you've always dreamed out and you lied to get it, it will be found out. Why? I tell this to my kids all the time. The truth always wins. It does. Why? Because God is the protector of truth. It will win. When you're um, wanting to make the sale, never lie or cheat. I, I may not be telling you to, if you're selling garbage to go, hey, it's a piece of garbage. Don't buy it. But don't lie to get the sale. Don't lie to do that. Because when you lie, you compromise, not the company, you compromise yourself. And you're working for God who protects the truth. Don't, don't um, talk down someone else and compromise the truth in their lives to get the promotion that you want. And when you're called out for the results that didn't make it, you need to admit it. Because people will respect the truth. And if they don't respect the truth, you might want to trust God more than you do your company or the organization you're working with. Because he will lead you to places of truth. Your values become a job role for what, where you're going to be in the future. Never lie or cheat to get results. And, and then in relationships, avoid immorality. Avoid immorality. I'm talking about inappropriate relationships. I'm talking about bribes. I'm talking about um, keeping people happy at all costs in your places of employment. Because there's better men than me and you who have fallen when they pursued immorality in their jobs. You need to have very open and, and stand for very strict conduct. In if you're a married man, how you talk to other women. If you're a married woman, how you, whether or not, I, I hope you don't have lunch with one-on-one with another married or unmarried woman if you're married. Is your office available to be seen by people who walk by? My office, I've got my computer screen right, right there and Anyone who walks by can see what I'm looking at on my computer screen at any time. It's good accountability so that I work excellently. And that just goes down all the way for us as an organization here. See, we want to serve with integrity and we want to avoid immorality. Integrity is the balance of good results and healthy relationships. Thirdly, serve with encouragement and teamwork. I just recently memorized this verse and I had memorized it years ago, but it came, it was good to memorize it again with a group of sixth grade boys on Thursday morning. It was Ephesians 4.29. It says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, I memorized it in the NIV, which says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which builds others up so that it may um, be a blessing to those who hear. You know, and that's that's the whole picture. You want to build others up so that it's a benefit for those who hear. Now, you know what I'm talking about. If you work around the water cooler in an organization and you know those conversations you have. And you know what? You're not the only one who can hear what people say. I was in an organization this week and I sat down and I was waiting to get served. 
And one of the employees just started unloading on her boss. And she said it to someone else. And I was just sitting there and it's like, you know, you're up, ready. I heard everything about her boss. It was incredible detail. I mean, she could not stand her boss. You know what? She had no idea that I could hear that. Okay? Now, thankfully, I... uh, But you know what I said? I wondered what kind of environment this place has to work in. What is this like? When that's right out in the open. It's not even behind the scenes. You need to be a person as a follower of Christ who serves the Lord Christ, who lives with encouragement. It means when you come in, when you leave, that place is a better place because of you. That our words built up and did not tear down. That, that they benefited those who, they didn't burden. I don't know, I was burdened by that. I was like, man, I hate to be that boss. That's a burden when you speak down to someone. So, so serve up and speak up. I just encourage you, if there's a lot of gossip going around, stop. Just stop. Shut up. Sorry, this is strong words. Because when you don't say something when everyone else is, everyone's looking for that affirmation to keep going. Did you hear this about her? Oh, yes, I heard that. Oh, did you hear what Frank said about her? And if you just tell him, just go like this. Just smile and don't say a word. Just bite your tongue. That's what it takes. They'll look at you and go, why aren't you talking? That's what they'll say to themselves. They're not talking anymore. What are we saying? And they'll start listening to themselves. And sometimes when you just say nothing, it no longer stokes the fire and it dies down. There's other times when you just got to stand up and say, I'm not going to say anything negative about that person. And walk away. Not in an arrogant, self-righteous way, but, but with courage. We've got to serve with encouragement and teamwork. No lone rangers in the kingdom of God. And then finally, serve people everywhere. Look what Paul says about the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 8. He says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. In other words, man, I don't have to encourage you anymore because there are regions beyond you and worlds beyond you who know about the gospel because of you. So serve up everywhere. And this means we start in our homes. Because that's where you're called to first. You're called to your home first. If you're a husband or a wife or father or a mother, those are your two first callings after you're called as a child of God. But you know what? I could lose my job tomorrow. I hope I don't, but I could lose it tomorrow and someone could replace me here. God could do that, okay? No one can replace me with my wife. I'm her one and only husband. I'm thankful for that. And no one can replace me as a dad. I'm the one and only father to my kids. And so it doesn't make sense for me to give my family my last and my leftovers because I'm giving my church my first and my best. That kills pastor's kids. That kills pastor's wives. So I can't afford to do that. So I tell our elders, this is what I give here so that I can give this at home. And I have fulfillment and joy in both. You know what? We need to be people where we serve people everywhere. Start in the home. Then your work. Serve people. You are there to serve and advance the kingdom of God. Thirdly, in your church. 
You're called and you're gifted to serve. A place for you to go up. You know what? Here is what you, everyone needs to do. We need help as a church to advance the kingdom of God. And we have far too many people watching things here and not people engaged in the work of God here. Here's what you do. Here's the, here's the word. How can I help you? That's, that's the best words you can say. When you go and you pick up your, your child in the nursery tonight, go, hey, you've got a lot of kids in here. How can I help you? Yeah, you, everyone. And watch. Hey, we've got a few services you can help. Some of them are once every six weeks you need to help out. Can you do? Yes, you can do that. When your kids are being served down in the mountain, if you went up to Brian or, or any of our people down there and said, hey, how can I help here? So many of us think, oh, I've got to have the formal invitation by the pastor. No, you don't. You're all called. You're, this is the calling of God that you would serve here. You need that environment in your life where you're serving people. And it begins with, how can I help? Can everyone say that? Are you all capable of saying, how can I help here? Everyone just try that. Good. Keep practicing that because we need help here. When you see an area you want to plug in, you go to that place. If it's a greeter, if it's a information area, wherever it is, how can I help here? And just watch because that's how God works. When you're open in one place, he opens up so many other doors. And, and he fulfills you and satisfies you in advancing the kingdom through your church. And then in your community. I think everyone needs to be connected in their community in some way. Whether your neighborhood, a sport team, a community service area. We're going to be involved in this community. We want to be a blessing. We've got to serve everywhere. It's not just about people being happy and comfortable at Fellowship Bible Church. It's about us serving and reaching this community with the gospel and the goodness and the gifts of God through Jesus Christ. This is who we are. We are ministers of the grace of God in all its forms. Your work matters to God. Will you engage him and engage it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we now see what you're trying to do with our work. We didn't get it before, but now we get it. We acknowledge that our work matters to you. And so we accept your calling. And we now ask for your insight and your empowering to live the calling you have placed in our lives so that Jesus Christ may be glorified in all that we do. We serve the Lord Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.